John chapter 11, it began with love. Now, if you'll remember last week, I begged you to forget the first part of the story and the end of the story. And we landed right smack in the middle of John 11 as Jesus shows up and there he's going to ultimately have a conversation with Martha and then her sister Mary about their brother Lazarus who's been in the tomb for the last four days. But now I want to back up and I want to get a little bit more information and figure out why John chapter 11 is such a big deal and why I think it's so important for us to spend several weeks in this chapter. So I want to start off with verse 1 of John 11 and now you get a, a more fuller picture of the story. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love is sick. So I want to stop right here. Did you catch that? Did anybody get that? Now, we've done this for the last few weeks, and so we're going to continue to do it until we get to have classes started back up again you can expect that I'm going to ask for some uh, crowd participation. Okay, if you're reading from the NIV, there's going to be a little topic that says the death of Lazarus. So if you can just kind of take that off the screen. And John is going to give a commentary. He's going to describe Mary and Martha as being sisters, and they have a brother named... Yeah, but if if you take that away... This is a really weird situation because Lazarus is sick, so his sisters send somebody, we don't know who it is, some, some person who's just a messenger, walks up to Jesus, and what does he say? Did you get that? I think this is really important. I think John... The, the, the gospel writer who's really concerned with love is going to point out that when this messenger shows up, he doesn't say, hey, Lazarus, this, this guy who lives in Bethany, you know him, you know Mary and Martha are his sisters. There doesn't seem to be any description of who the sick person is other than the one you love. And that just makes me think about the special relationship that Jesus had with Mary and with Martha and with their brother Lazarus. That, that this messenger can walk up and say, Lord, the one you love is sick. Implied is that because you for this person so much. I don't even have to name that person's name. And because you love that person so much, you are going to do something about that. And so really, honestly, we could skip four and five because, you know, I have a lot of things I want to talk about. But since we're here, I guess I'll go ahead and read it real fast. It's going to be pretty obvious what's going to happen. There is this kind of weird statement. Jesus uh, hears this. He says, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. We don't fully understand it because, remember, we don't know what's going to happen next. You've already forgotten John eleven thirty five. You can remember he wept, but let's not, let's not go past that. 
So all we know is a messenger comes up to Jesus and says, the one you love is sick. And he says, this, is no, this sickness will not end in death so that God may be glorified. Just hang in there. And then he says, of course, I'm on my way. See, he says, Jesus loved Martha and her sister. Uh, excuse me. Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. Wait, hold on. Did I read that right? It says, yet when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. Did I grab the wrong enough? What is this? Does somebody read something different? Should somebody read something different? Is something wrong with your Bible? Is something wrong with Jesus? Okay, I have a big problem with this. The messenger comes up and says, hey, the one that you love is sick. And he says, don't worry about this. This is not going to end in death. And then there's this comment made that Jesus loves this family. And then Jesus does nothing. He does nothing. He's, he's intentional about doing nothing. I mean, I think it's pretty clear. It doesn't say like Jesus forgot or slipped his mind or he said, let me do one more thing. Like he was intentional in not going to the person whom he loved to see him and heal him. And it really bothers me. And I think if you're honest and you haven't read the rest of the story, it should bother you just a little too. He stayed there two more days. He could have done something to show that he loved him. But he didn't. On December 23rd, 2015, I made for my wife a lazy Susan for one of her one-a-days. And nearly five years later, that lazy Susan still sits on our table. I mean, it's lazy. What else does it do? But it's there all the time. We put our napkins on it and occasionally the salt and pepper and we'll spin it around and put stuff on it and we use it. And it's there, one, because it serves the purpose of having a place to put napkins and salt and pepper, but it's also there because every time we walk into the kitchen... My wife can see that, and she knows that I love her. Because remember, all good gifts start with love. And so if she sees that gift, she can trace it back and say, He worked to make that, and He was thoughtful, and He loves me. So if I claim that that gift is proof that I love my wife, what does it mean if I didn't give her that gift? If that lazy Susan says, Doug loves his wife, what happens if you walk into my kitchen and there's not a lazy Susan on the table? Does that then imply that I don't love my wife? Do I have to give her a gift? If the presence of a gift means love, does the absence of a gift mean that there is no love? 
Several weeks ago, I'm going to brag on my son. Several weeks ago, my son White started up his own Bible study, and it has it has nothing to do with me. He just decided that he went through a rough time uh, in his life, and he says, "You know what? I want to grow closer to God, and I want to help others grow closer to God." So he got a, a group of friends and invited them over and said, "Let's let's just start studying the Bible." And it's interesting. We talked for a little while about what he would study, and he decided that the topic was, "Can God be good when things are bad?" And he had a group of peers in our house on a Friday night. And the first question he asked them was, and most of these are seniors, he said, what was one thing you expected to be doing right now that you're not doing? And then he began unpackaging the idea of what happens when things aren't good. Can God still be good and can God even be God? And then he shared this, this story he found on December 7th, 2007, Alcides Marino went to work like any other day, washing windows in downtown New York. Unfortunately, it was only shortly after he began working that things went really wrong. After climbing onto the scaffolding, on top of a building that was 47 stories high, one of the cables snapped. Alcides grabbed the rail and hung on, but shortly after, the second cable snapped. Alcides fell 47 stories, nearly 500 feet. When the New York Fire Department got there, they began trying to slowly extract him from this crumpled up mess. He was sent to the hospital and there they determined he had, of course, multiple injuries involving the brain, the spines, and the lungs. He needed multiple surgeries, dozens of pints of blood, and remained in a coma for three weeks. On December 24th, he woke and saw his wife at his bedside, and he thought he was in heaven. Dr. Pardis, the president of the New York Presbyterian Hospital, said, If you're looking for a medical miracle, this certainly qualifies. But Alcides still wonders. How could he question That it was anything but a miracle. Most people statistically don't survive a four-story fall. He fell 47 stories and can walk, talk, and breathe. And so why the question? Why would Alcides survive something like that and say, I'm not really sure? The answer is simple, but heartbreaking. Alcides was not the only person on the scaffolding that morning. His younger brother, Edgar, was with him 
until the first cable broke. And when it broke, his younger brother, who lived with him, who he had given the job, and who had been working with him, fell off the scaffolding to his death. Alcinas survived, and Edgar died. When Alcides survives, we call it a miracle. But what do we say when someone we love dies? Alcides would talk about his younger brother. He said he was a good man. He was better than me. He was younger than me. He's the one who should have lived. He would later on go on to talk that he spent three years in mourning, and in depression because his little brother died and he survived. When we see a gift, whether it be a lazy Susan or a miraculous recovery from a fall, we say there is love and there is power And there is an amazing miracle. And we might even say, there is a God. But what if we don't see the gift? What if we don't get the miracle? What happens when there is no healing? And that's really the crux of John chapter 11. Because Jesus, the one who loved the family, who loved Mary and Martha and Lazarus, was the one who didn't give the gift, the one who didn't provide the miracle, the one who stayed intentionally two days longer when he knew that someone he loved needed him. In fact, as we looked at last week, even when he did show up, he didn't even walk into the village. He didn't go to the house. He stayed on the outskirts of town. What happens when God doesn't give that gift? I think what John 11 reminds us is that what we see as a gift may not be the real gift that God is giving. And it's woven right in the middle of this conversation with Jesus and Martha as Jesus comes excuse me as Martha comes out to see Jesus and she says if you had just been here my brother wouldn't have died. And he says your brother will rise again and and she says I know with the resurrection And in that, we find the real gift. It is amazing. And it's just phenomenal. I'm going to go ahead and spoil the rest of the story because none of you know it. But the rest of the story is, get this, Jesus is going to call Lazarus from out of the tomb. Four days dead, four days smelling, four days of this guy is way, way dead, and he calls him out of the tomb. And that is awesome, and we go, woo, 
this is the miracle. This is where Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead. And that's the real miracle. But that's not the real miracle. Because Jesus isn't going to hang around for Lazarus to die again. If this is the real miracle, then Jesus would have to still be alive, roaming the graveyards, continually raising people back to life. Now, I don't know about you, but if I'm four days in the tomb, and Jesus comes strolling by, I'm going to keep walking. This is not what I was made for. This body, as amazing as it is, this is not my permanent body. This is a flawed body. This is a body that is falling apart. It gets older. I was out with a kid two weeks ago on a youth event. I ball and hurt myself. I have been limping for two weeks because I kicked a ball. This, this body is breaking down on me. I've got scars. I've got wounds. I, I'm looking forward to a trade-in and a trade-up. Because I'm going to get one way better than this. I always think, what did Lazarus think when he came out of the tomb? Because my thought is, really? This this is the everybody else gets the miracle. Lazarus is like, well, I'm stuck back on earth again. I'm looking forward to the day that God calls me out of this body. Because I believe 100% in the love and the grace and the gift of God that by Jesus Christ and His blood that I'm not going to spend the rest of my life in this thing. It's going to start getting old. Really old. I mean, ask Lynn. He would tell you all about it. What's it like? And Lynn will tell you. You don't even have to ask. Lynn will tell you, I can't wait till Jesus calls me home. That's what we're all here for. And so I'm, I'm going to get on my soapbox for just a second. Because I hear this. I hear people talking about Christians, and they make this statement, and they don't mean it in a bad way, but to me it just drives me crazy. They'll, make, they'll say that, well, this person that we dearly loved, they lost their life to cancer. Or they lost their life to the common cold. Or they lost their life to natural causes. They didn't lose. They didn't lose. Now, let me stop for half a second. When someone we love dies, they don't lose. Okay, but let's not forget we lose. We can still grieve the loss of someone who was there for the dreams and the plans that we had for the phone calls for the eating out together for all we lose that but they don't lose christians don't lose to cancer they don't lose to the common cold lose to covid they don't lose when their heart stops beating and their lungs stop breathing they don't we don't lose so i don't know how much longer i'm going to be around here but if anybody is in the room, or if anybody's listening, when it's time for me to go, please say, dog one, when I die. 
I won. I will win because of Jesus. Listen, doesn't that change everything? We don't have to be afraid of what we're going to lose at the end. Think about what we're going to win. This is the story of John chapter 11. It's not Lazarus walking out of the tomb. It's Jesus making a promise that no matter how many shots you get on this earth, it's typically one. Jesus still keeps His promise and we win. Jesus knew that Lazarus was going to die again. But He also understood that the miracle will be in the final resurrection. And that's our hope. And I know it's scary out there. And I know that there's a lot of reports going on about sickness and death and illness and, and, and we should be afraid. But I'm telling you, we will win when we leave these bodies. We will be given new bodies and a new life and eternity with God in heaven. And I don't know about you, but like, I, I kind of I, I, I get a little jittery. Like, I get really excited about that. Because when I realize that, when I remember that, I know that there is absolutely no one who can take that away. And that is our hope. When we leave this place in a few minutes, we're going to go out there and we're going to have an opportunity to remind people that we will win because of Jesus. We won't lose in the end. And so may we be a people who are celebrating that God is choosing people to win every day when they follow Him. May we choose to follow Jesus this morning and serve Him. We don't talk about this every week, but I'm going to take just a moment to remind all of you that we have some water back here that we would love to baptize you in. The water is not pure or holy. In fact, I spoke with Harold. He says it's quite cold. But what it represents is a burial, a death, a dying of your old self and being raised again. And I want to invite you to consider choosing to immerse yourself in a life that involves a Savior, a promise, and hope with Him in heaven. And so I want to invite you to consider that and consider looking at your life and how we can serve Him this week. Please do that as we stand and sing.